Jersey Scene is proportionately regulated, innovative and competitive. Either by good luck or good management, the decisions made by our predecessors over 20 years ago have landed us in the sweet spot today. So says Elliot Refson, Head of Funds at Jersey Finance, a non-profit organisation formed in 2001 to represent and promote Jersey as an international financial centre. Jersey is an independent, self-governing island in the English Channel with a population of over 100,000. It is well known among fund managers and investors across the world and is widely regarded as a stable domicile for private funds. In today's special episode, sponsored by Jersey Finance, we'll examine how the offshore jurisdiction has positioned itself as a gateway to Europe for US managers and what its fund domiciliation environment can offer fund managers that its rivals may struggle to match. I'm Hannah Roberts, Special Projects Editor at Private Equity International, and this is Spotlight. According to Refson, to get to the heart of how Jersey made itself into a hub for offshore domiciliation, we must go back a few decades. The evolution of international financial centres matters because of the way they were established in the markets they set out to attract, set the scene for where they are now, and more importantly, where they will go and the impact this will have on those who primarily determine domiciliation, and that is the investors. If you were to go back 20 years, Jersey was seen as over-regulated, inflexible and expensive as an alternative investment fund jurisdiction. And the reason for this is that our government and our regulator strove to adopt the higher standards to embrace and be early adopters of new regulation and new legislation. So if you fast forward to today, Jersey scene is proportionately regulated, innovative and competitive. So what changed in the interim? In short, the answer to that is everything and nothing. The fact is that the internationalisation of standards and regulation that we've seen over recent years has set the scene for the future of the international finance centres. Amid increasing regulatory scrutiny, Jersey had to decide what direction it would take and consider its position in the market as a reliable place to domicile a fund. There's other jurisdictions who took a softer view of regulation and international standards at the outset have moved or in fact been forced to catch up with Jersey's position around international standards, for example, BEPS or substance, then this has led to regulatory uncertainty in some jurisdictions and it's uncovered flaws, for example, in a lack of suitable infrastructure or personnel in some jurisdictions. And at the same time, geopolitical events have uncovered instability in certain jurisdictions. So this has spooked many investors and managers who demand stability and certainty in their jurisdiction. A white paper commissioned by Jersey Finance in 2020 found that investors and the people that determine fund domiciliation said that they wanted a stable jurisdiction with a minimal change outlook. Jersey has not changed its outlook, but maintained its course of the highest standards. And indeed, this is highlighted by our substance legislation of 2019, which was in fact simply the codification of prevailing best practices. So as a result... Jersey's approach has been acknowledged by some of the world-leading bodies such as the OECD, the IMF and the World Bank. My own conclusion of all of this, therefore, is that either by good luck or good management, the decisions made by our predecessors over 20 years ago have landed us in the sweet spot today. And I think that's borne out by the statistics. Not only are we seeing record inflows of AUM to the tune of 142% over 10 years, and 72% over the past five years, but our growth rate has outpaced 
our closest competing jurisdictions in recent years, and the divergence of the rate of that outperformance continues in our favor. Whenever you're dealing with cross-border capital flows of whatever sort, you're now sort of putting one foot in one environment, another foot in another environment. That's Philip Parecki, business development lead in the Americas for Jersey Finance. By that, I mean the law, the regulatory umbrella, tax issues, etc., right? The even cultural work practices, all of those things. You're now trying to find ways to move from one sort of world to another world. And what offshore financial centers do or allow you as a bridge to move between these areas. The driving force behind it was efficiency. You know, regulation was being established to move capital efficiently across borders. We're not in that world anymore. You know, we're in a world of highly politicized regulation now. With globalization now fully embedded in financial services, U.S. fund managers need to take an exceptionally long view on their funds, not only in terms of investments and capital collection, but also whether the rules of their domicile will change. Parecki says that such stability and domiciliation will prove to be a crucial differentiator for jurisdictions like Jersey. If you're a U.S. investment manager and now you're looking to raise capital from around the world or you have a structure that needs to sit, that's going to have investors from around the world, or if you have a structure now that has footprints around the world, what you need is a jurisdiction that you can rely on that that structure is going to survive for the years that you need it to survive because that adds cost, that adds uncertainty, not just uncertainty whether you can restructure, but uncertainty with your investors. Now, you could have made an argument before that that predictability and stability might cost you more, right? It might cost you some delta between running a, say, a risk of having to restructure and the cost of operating and establishing in a jurisdiction. But I think the world's just moved on where the jurisdictions have realized that in order to stay viable within the sort of global capital network, they have to move towards this greater and greater absorption of these regulations. So how does the European Union, with its leading fund domicile locations of Luxembourg and Ireland, differ from offshore jurisdictions like Jersey? Parecki and Refsen say that recent regulatory changes in the EU, especially the Alternative Investment Fund Managers Directive, have added extra firepower to Jersey's arsenal. Now you do have that price delta. So if you can do everything that you need to do and you have all of that predictability and stability, you can get that at a fraction of the price of having to go, say, for example, onshore in Europe, where now you're going to be under the full scope of AIFMD. Refson says that the risk of choosing a jurisdiction that can't support the entire life cycle of the fund can cause problems for managers down the road. So far this year, we have seen over 120 CDOs and CLOs move to Jersey from Cayman or created in Jersey instead of Cayman, because Cayman can no longer support these structures from a European perspective. So the manager has to move them. You know, that's one example of why it is so important to make sure that your jurisdiction has the stability and is fit for the purpose that you want it to be fit for. Parecki says that securitization is also becoming increasingly important as a driver of regulation that is no longer technocratic or driven by the efficiency of capital flows. This is a more activist, a more politicized regulation, and it also might 
be suggestive. It's too early to say if it's going to be broad, but it's actually regulating European investors' ability to invest into a vehicle that sits in a gray list or a blacklist jurisdiction. So now you've got a regulator that's regulating the activities of the investor investing into rather than the manager marketing their product into the market. So to Elliot's point, you know, Jersey has been in a position because if you have to go through this whole process of finding a jurisdiction that can solve the problem that you need to solve and you found it and now you can rely on it, it's a default. It's the next default. So Jersey's finding itself in more and more situations becoming a default solution for this reason. It's predictable and you can rely on it. A major benefit of running fund domiciliation discussions in a geographically small offshore location such as Jersey is that, considering its outsized presence as a leader in the market, the regulatory bodies that govern private funds are adaptable compared to some rivals. We are pretty unique in as much as our industry, our regulator and our government can actually sit down in a room in order to address problems and to innovate. One key element of Jersey's product offering that sets us apart is that we took an innovative opt-in, opt-out approach to the AIFMD. That's the Alternative Investment Fund Managers Directive. So if you're using a Jersey structure to market outside of Europe, then you're completely outside of scope. If you're using a Jersey structure to market into Europe, and it's really key to remember that Jersey sits outside of the EU and it sits outside of the UK, and we have very strong bilateral relationships with both parties. We offer access to Europe via the national private placement regime rather than the EU AIFMD passport. So if, for example, a US manager sets up in Luxembourg or in Dublin, he is covered by the full AIFMD in whatever he does, whether he's based in the EU or marketing into the EU. And this covers every aspect of his activity. Refson says that this position constitutes a light-touch form of AIFMD, as much as the EU's national private placement regime allows a manager to access countries on an individual basis outside the fourth scope of AIFMD. Only 3% of all alternative investment fund managers are registered to market in more than three European countries. So if you're a part of the 3% who market on a pan-European basis or to the retail market, then you likely need to access via full scope of AIFMD or USITs. But if you're one of the 97% who do not market so widely within the EU, then Jersey and our private placement agreements offer a more cost-effective, faster and more efficient solution. Managers based in the US have long relied on reverse solicitation rules as a way to raise capital in Europe. Perecki and Refsen say that after the introduction of AIFMD in the EU, onshore jurisdictions in Europe were marketing very heavily in the US, suggesting that US firms would have to go through them if they wanted access to European capital. Totally not correct. You don't need to do that. You can use Article 42 and go via national private placement. Reverse solicitation now is this thing that no one really targeted or focused. Now, I guess another piece of this is that, you know, we're not talking about a regulator in the context of Europe now that's really focused on technical solutions. 
They're focused on politicized solutions. And so now reverse solicitation is getting in the crosshairs. Right after Brexit happened, ESMA warned the marketplace, and this is an unprecedented level of warning, that managers who are violating these reverse solicitation rules are subject to criminal penalties, right? So how does the market react? Well, the market reacts by doing all sorts of gymnastics to get around reverse solicitation, but they're needless gymnastics. You don't need to go through all of that rigmarole and you can put yourself in Jersey and market into Europe using national private placement. So why were they going that route? I think they were going that route because they wanted to avoid European regulation. Sitting in Europe, full weight of AIFMD, the costs of it, the bureaucracy, the slowness of it, inability to respond quickly, all of the reasons they wanted to sit outside of that European nexus. Well, you can do that and you can use Jersey to do that. Since Jersey Finance opened an office in New York in 2019, the value of US-originated fund assets under management that are serviced in Jersey has risen by 22%, according to the latest data from Monterey. Since 2019, the business has seen a 61% increase in the number of fund structures formed in Jersey. What happened in early 2020 was the blacklisting of Cayman. And when Cayman went on the blacklist, it immediately forced US managers to start thinking about the structures they were establishing in ways they hadn't thought about previously. It sort of marked a new era and it was an opportunity for us to actually start reaching the marketplace intellectually, like actually giving them an option where before they would have been so busy, they perhaps wouldn't have really thought about it. I think it's worth also touching on the fact that, you know, from early in 2023, um, we expect to have LLC laws in Jersey, which are paired to sue with US LLC laws, so that when the lawyers who primarily determine domiciliation are looking at what's available in more stable jurisdictions, we will have the offering of LLCs. Jersey's ability to adapt to a changing geopolitical climate, as well as its dedication to remain a stable, reliable fund domicile jurisdiction, seems to bode well for the island's future as a leader in this space. But that's not to say that the path to further change will be easy, with advances in technology providing new opportunities and challenges to those involved in private funds management. State Street indicate that real estate and private equity represent over $150 trillion globally. And they estimate that in 2022, over $10 trillion of that may become tokenized. I think it's very important that as a jurisdiction, we are ahead of the tokenization of real assets because that is the future. It is absolutely critical to remaining a real assets jurisdiction to embrace that trend. And that is a work in progress between government, regulator and industry in Jersey at this point in time. I think Elliot's right. Tokenization is changing the way the intermediary market between the real asset and the investor. Uh, and you can see a long arc how technology will assert intermediaries and do the job that intermediaries do today. Uh, I think that's a much longer direction of travel, and it requires a really forward-leaning regulator to be willing to look at the space and look at it with some rigor. But it's a world we don't really know yet. We're, we're just getting into it. If you're not like leading 
in the direction if you're not thinking about it. There's a lot of learning that gets embedded within industry, within the regulator, within government that happens because you're engaged, actively, really wrestling with these issues. So you get a depth of knowledge and Jersey's building that depth of knowledge. As investors and sponsors alike increasingly scrutinise the environmental, social and corporate governance credentials of their investments and fund operations, Jersey's attention to ESG matters has naturally risen in turn. To me, ESG is hugely important, not least because the market is growing exponentially with the demand for it. So Deutsche Bank expect that ESG assets are likely to surpass 100 trillion by 2028, and both Bloomberg and PwC have similar forecasts. And these forecasts imply that ESG will permeate all areas of alternatives and further will become a key aspect of mainstream investment management. Perecki says that while this idea is already understood in the markets, many people are still trying to come to terms with how exactly the process of choosing a fund domicile on this basis will work in practice. I don't think you're going to find a ESG due diligence questionnaire not long from now. I don't think you're going to find one that doesn't address the jurisdiction in which the vehicles sit in or the manager sits in, etc., And if you're in a jurisdiction that is on the gray list or blacklist or about to go on gray lists or blacklists, you're in a very difficult time justifying that that is good governance. Jurisdictional choice will form part of the analysis and it comes down to governance. And I think Jersey's in a position to be the clear ESG choice. And it's because Jersey made a decision to be that clear ESG choice. Refson points out that the Jersey government, its regulator, and the Jersey for Good project have worked with Jersey Finance on a two-year plan to accelerate the country's journey to a sustainable future leading up to 2030. From a fund reporting perspective, Jersey's approach to ESG standardisation seems to be key. Jersey allows for ESG reporting to be done in any format that's made to other regulatory regimes. And what this means in practice is, is that as one standard dominates amongst the many competing standards around the world, then this will ultimately become default in Jersey without the need for us to keep reinventing the regulatory framework. And to me, that's just another illustration of how Jersey will keep reinventing itself, building on its base of stability and remain the default jurisdiction for alternatives in the years to come. So... Do Refson and Parecki think that Jersey is likely to change its forward-looking approach to private funds anytime soon? It seems to me that that is part of the mindset. It's a commercial-oriented government. The government itself is not highly politicized. You know, consensus has to be reached. There's a strong history of that politically within Jersey. You know, if you take the sort of political stability plus its fiscal stability and now you've got regulatory predictability. Yes, I think all of the variables are there. The separation is growing and growing and growing between Jersey and other jurisdictions. That again was Elliot Refson and Philip Parecki of Jersey Finance. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or at any of PEI Group's various titles online. I'm Hannah Roberts. Thanks for listening.